Welcome, everybody, to Beyond the Rules. I'm your host, Stephen Batista, and today I have one of my best friends in the game who's taught me so much in both wrestling and not so much baseball, but I hope he does today, Rich Renally, Sr. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you? I'm good. It's been a long time since we chatted since the wrestling season and uh, umpiring in different states. We never crossed paths because you umpire in Jersey, right? Uh, high school, I do. In Little League, I was doing Jersey. College, I do Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York. I, you know, it's funny. All the in wrestling, we get to work more together. We cross, it's not that we cross paths. We see each other frequently. And uh, all like the people who've influenced me, I've only got to work with like once. Like uh, Curtis Degar, who's also uh, mm-hmm. one of one of the pillars of the podcast. I've worked with him once. Carl's Domo once. So hopefully, maybe I could have the once with you. Well, interestingly enough, Carlos and I talked about working together for years. We finally got to do it this year for Chesapeake uh, with the Stevens game. Yeah, he, we, he mentioned on the podcast, and that was like the first time you were. It's, it's weird how that we always see each other in wrestling. It's like we're so, well, that's we know each other. Like, go ahead. The one association we we all belong to, right? So yeah. Together because we belong to the same association. I don't belong to New York baseball. You guys don't belong to Jersey baseball. Carlos just recently joined Chesapeake, so that's why we work together. Maybe I have to come to New York to work with you. Well, no, even if you did, um, it goes by borough. So it's not like uh, Jersey where it's one association for high school and varsity. Mm-hmm. So it's by borough, by a signer. Bur- uh, we'll just go right to it. I did the Yankee Stadium, the AAA final, Tomville versus uh, Giorgio Luperon. And even in the final, we're all wearing different uniforms because we come from different associations. Which we're is- wearing... Yeah, it looks like, you know, it doesn't look good. I don't like it. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, shout out to PSAL. So let's just get into it. Uh, I like to start with uh, a bio of just like how your your desire to get into sports and how, what, if you played it and what led you into officiating in, in, from the start. Interesting. I started coaching back in the 70s. And I was coaching football and baseball at the high school level and uh, for football and grammar school level, actually, for baseball. And I decided to go to the umpire classes, not to be an umpire or referee, just to learn the rules. In fact, when I finished both classes, the same guys, Billy Bergen and and Gene Sparter and others for both football and baseball grabbed me and said, why don't you referee an umpire? And I'm like, no, because the things that coaches are going to say in the coach's locker room, I shouldn't hear as a referee. And the thing the referees are going to say, I shouldn't hear as, you know, as a coach. So I, interest. Unfair. so I said, no, when I stopped coaching, I'll umpire and referee. I coached from 75 to 86 at Hudson. Real quick, I want to touch on one thing you said. Um, uh, umpire classes, officiating classes, they had that in, um, yeah, explain that, that program. Yeah, no, the same program I went through when I eventually became an umpire at the high school level. I went through back in 76, I think it was, yeah, 76. And it was the same class, but it was really just about to learn the rules, right? Even back then, 45, 50 years later, I didn't want to be that guy from the side yelling about a rule I didn't understand. So I took both classes. And I also took the wrestling class later, though. I took the wrestling class in the 80s when I became a head coach at St. Peter's Prep. And again, the same thing. They said, well, why don't you referee? Just don't referee in the conferences and leagues you work in. And I'm like, no, again, I don't want to be involved in those conversations about coaches with referees that I really shouldn't hear. You got to keep your distance. Correct. It's just, it's a sanctity where it goes on in those locker rooms by coaches and or referees aren't meant for the other side to hear. And I would be the conduit to both. And I didn't think that was fair. Yeah. And no matter how um, unbiased you think you are, it's impossible to be fully that unbiased. You can't unring those bells of information that you get. Right. But then I stopped coaching in 86 because I got into real estate brokerage. My oldest, Rich Renali, who everybody knows, was a referee in New York City, is a referee in New York City. Shout out to Richie Jr. Yes, shout out to Rich Jr., um, who I think is a very good wrestling referee and baseball umpire. was born in 86. By 92, 93, he was playing Little League Baseball, 94. And the coach who was coaching his team said, hey, I need help. And Richie said, my dad's a coach. (laughs) He was coaching. So I coached with that gentleman for a few years. And then Richie got old enough to be an umpire. And the league that wanted him to become an umpire asked him to go to the school. 
So I took him to the Little League school that they had in Bayonne, New Jersey. Thank you. I was going to ask you where it was. <laughs> yeah, in Bayonne, New Jersey. It was run by a guy, Gene Klump, who had done the Little League World Series. And another guy whose name I won't mention. And I went for five weeks for five hours to sit there because he didn't have a car. So at the end of the five weeks, when they give Richie his card, they give me the card. Okay. So they asked Richie to umpire in Bayonne eventually. And then because he went out there, I said, well, I don't want my son Rick umpiring in a league I don't know anything about because adults are nuts. So I started to umpire out there. And that's How old Richie. was Richie then, too? He was in high school still? He was 15, I believe. Yeah, wow. 14 or 15. Man, so that's I great to have there. that start, like to do officiating at that age. Like there needs to be more of that. The, the benefit goes to a guy, Jerry Myers, at least for starting them. The problem was there were a father and son team that used that were doing the league that asked them to work. And then when they were going to, well, okay, we're going to use you as the third guy. We're not going to use you like we thought we would. Gene Klump became aware of it. And he called me on the phone and talked to Richie about going to Bayonne. And then said to me, if I'm interested, I could work there as well. So I worked at Bayonne for a year. I met, oh, I'll mention his name, Tony Soltarelli, who was the, I guess he became the umpire in chief. There were, uh, at the time, Gene had become the district administrator. So I started to become friends with Tony and Gene, and I just started doing tournament games. And once you get once you get into the tournament games, which is really fun because now you have Bayonne versus Elmore versus West New York versus North Bergen, which are all programs in the waterfront, basically of of North Jersey. It it became intoxicating. You know, I couldn't wait till I did my first district final. Like, it was a big deal. I did third base at a district final. Oh, that's awesome. And I was all fired up. So that's how it started. I just started doing Little League Baseball. And then eventually, as Richie got to be 18, 19, he wanted to do high school baseball. So we both did the high school class together. Um, We both started doing high school together. Richie was doing varsity right away. I mean, once he got his license, that was the most impressive thing. Not me. A 19-year-old was doing big varsity games in Hudson County. Ah, the we son motivates the father. Yeah, actually, he motivated me the whole time. He doesn't realize that, but he did. I think he does. So, yeah, I, I hope so. So I started doing high school baseball with him. And so now we're doing Little League and we're doing high school. And that's really kind of how it grew, because then it was do a district, do a section, you know, move your way through the sections. Then you do a state, right? You get assigned to a state. My first state was in 2005 at Elmwood Park. I did the nine and 10 states. The following year, I did what I would call the flagship, the 12-year-old states. And this is all through the Little League system. All through Little League, yeah. Two, that was 2006. 2007, I did, I think it was 2007, I did the juniors. 2008, I did something else. 2009, I did the 11s, then a wall. And on and on, and every year. By 2010, I did my first regional that was down in Freehold, New Jersey. In 2011, I did my first World Series in, in Easley. Easley is now the Senior World Championship, Senior Baseball. When I was down there, Little League still had the Big League, which was the 18, that, well, I guess effectively it's called 18U, Little League called it 16, 17, 18. It was great baseball. Joey Pancake, who a year later was nominated as one of the top college baseball players in the country for South Carolina, was playing for the District 1 team. And it was effectively seniors going to college and and freshmen in college playing for the U.S. area teams. The Puerto Rico team, which played in a final, had six kids about a day or two later to get signed to professional contracts. It's cool when you get to that level. Oh, man. An 18-year-old, dead center field was 4'10". Kid couldn't have been more than 10 or 15 feet in front of the 4'10". And threw a laser, one hop to the plate. Jesse Barfield. Laser. I mean, Steve, I mean a laser. It was like they never went more than 10, 11 feet off the ground. Or I should say Clemente. Yeah, yes. Very Clemente-like, correct. It was amazing. They they were just I I did a plate game that was Puerto Rico and Canada, and the pitcher I had threw 96 miles an hour at 18. Yeah. At 18. Uh, To piggyback on on that though, uh as I've gone through my umpiring career, uh, the first wow moment where I saw an athlete where I was like, whoa, you know, like the 
Mm-hmm. You could feel the, the aura. It is Thomas White. I believe he's committed to Vanderbilt, but he's probably going to get drafted next year. Okay. And this was the COVID season, 2020. So at Diamond Nation, fortunately, I couldn't, I couldn't experience him behind the plate. I had to stand behind him. But he was 15 at the time on 18U, and he was top enough at 96. He's 6'4", lefty from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we did ground rules, the coach was like, uh, he was uh, alluding to his greatness. And uh, the team just beat the hell out of the other team. So And they got the mercy in. So well, much so that it was in Domination, uh, mercy starts at 3, 14, 10, 8, 14, mm-hmm. third inning, and, and mm-hmm. so on. And uh, they got the 14 in, and he, nobody could hit him. And they were batting 11 players, the other team. So those two players didn't even get to bat up. And they were like, wow, respect. <laughs> yeah, and he's a talent that I, that was, you kind of like, want to break code protocol and be like, Hey, can I shake your hand? And you well, know, that's why, that's why I laugh when I talk to guys like you, when you've talked about doing college baseball and although you weren't behind the plate, you, I say it all the time. There are a lot of times where I've worked high school games where the pitching was effectively as good as some of the, as a lot of the college pitching I see. Oh, now, yeah. To be Definitely. fair, a lot of the college pitching is they throw hard and they throw well. Because they're 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, right? Yeah. So they're really men by that point. They've grown into it right. versus having versus the DNA talent. year old who's doing his 17. Yeah, those guys get scooped up. 18. But from an umpire point of view, I don't care if he's 18 or 22. If you can read a sliding fa- a sliding fastball or, a, or a, a backdoor fastball that breaks at 91, whether he's 18 or 21, it's the same pitch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I tell guys like you, if you think you can do that at the high school level, then you can do it at the college level. Oh, it's, I, it's the same thing. I believe that. And then to further that, those you want those pitchers because they challenge you. Those kids know how to paint the corners. And they're, you want to give a good pitch. It's due. It's I think your utmost duty behind the plate is to recognize – the talent behind painting the corner in the right spot and giving the, the the pitcher the credit that it deserves by calling it a strike. And these guys know how to do it. So where it touches the corner, but by the time the catcher catches it, it it's as much off the plate as possible from catching that corner. And at least I, in my experience, it's not like I, I want to like I, just I wing it. I want, I want to, I want to really give that guy the credit and be like, Oh, I'm going to learn how to master seeing that, that good ass pitch you through. This is where you and I will differ a little bit Mm. because it's about advantage, disadvantage, right? If it's the front right or front left corner opposite a batter, to me, I'm not going to reach for that pitch because there's no real, there's no, there's really no opportunity. That kid's throwing a pitch that only you can call a strike that that batter can't hit. And we're, and you're really don't take this personal because we all at times do it based on our vision, guess what we think we saw, because we're not sure if it's an outside pitch. We're not on the outside corner. We really can't see it, right? But the reality is, to me, I'd rather give that extra whatever you think you're giving on the outside of a ball that's coming more through both corners of the plate than I do that front right corner or that front left corner. Because then... Say that that again. Say that again. In other words, you're saying of the, the front 17 inches... Right, you would give the front court, the front left corner of the seventeen inch, and the front right corner of the seventeen inch to a pitcher on a curved slider that hits that front corner. Right? No, 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 no. I'm talking okay. about fastballs. Oh, okay, Fa- fastball. A fastball that goes through the front left corner or the front right corner. That really, if it's going at an angle, that it only hits the corner. Then by you're right. By the time it gets through the, the court, yeah yeah, the batter has no shot of hitting that right. And we don't know if, uh, on a uh, we're I don't want to say, it, but we're guessing that pitch ball and strike. Well, we're, what I'm saying is there's an effort behind that that it, it challenges you to try to mitigate the guesswork, and you want to uh, see uh, as much as you can of it. And and, and, and I'm not talking and, about breaking balls that oh, that well, you got to there's a difference. I'm, I'm talking about fastballs where that guy's painting corners, like you know, well, and they're, they're, painting, and the catcher's catching in a way where you can discern corners. where it was caught. Yeah, if he's painting both corners that way all day, 
In fact, exactly. That's what I was saying. When I hear in the dugout and they say, not you, I say, good, we'll be out of here early today. <laughs> yeah, well, usually not you comes on the first pitch, you know, strike. They, no, but but I hear you, right? Whenever oh, I, I know. Not you, I, I, I catch his yeah. left. I go, well, good, we'll be out of oh, here early. Not you, not you is the chalk. It, it definitely makes my shoulders move a little sometimes. But um, so, well, I want to double back real quick. So any sports that you played, you participated as you in your in your youth? I played Little League Baseball. I played high school baseball. I played high school football. I played a little college football, Division Three. I was an average athlete, in all fairness. I, I didn't make any awards. I didn't make any, you know, all counties, whatever. I worked to, 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 to play, to be, you know, I didn't start until I was a senior in football. I was at Hudson Catholic. Um, Maybe still started. Correct. But, but again, you know, the whole thing comes down to it was what it was. You know what I mean? I'm not, you know, a lot of guys, oh, he was, you know, he wasn't a star. All right, maybe I wasn't. So what? Hey, Rich, you know what I say um, when catchers always say, oh, did you play? I'm like, I did a little, but I consider myself a professional watcher. Well, you know what? That's fine. Uh, (laughs) I'm better at watching the game. I look at it differently. I tell them, look, what I didn't do as an athlete, I make up as an official. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, I, I, I... I absorbed the game in a way that was beneficial for me to do this role, but I still want to stay in it. And I still consider myself an integral part. I mean, I am an integral part. You can't do the game without me. And I want to give the same effort that that requires that you are expected to give of yourself as an athlete. Here's the perfect example of what I just said. I was a, I was a decent little league player, but I was a world series umpire. Hell yeah. I was an okay baseball player. Hell yeah. I've done three state finals and I've done, 14 state sectional finals, right? I only got to wrestle in a club program because in the early 70s, Hudson Catholic's wrestling program was a club program. So we didn't compete the district sections and states, regions and states. So I didn't have that. But I turned around a wrestling program that had never had a district uh, champion to have five district champions, a regional place winner, and a state place winner as a coach. Then as a wrestler, as a go back to baseball, as I said, I did three state finals and 14 sectional finals, which even just doing sectional finals is huge. I did 14 straight and I do college baseball and I worked conference playoff games for the last eight years at the college level. Let me go back to wrestling, wrestling. I've now officiated. I've been lucky enough to get one state final through the New York City Wrestling Officials Association. I've done eight. National prep championships, including eight finals. So I, I've done okay. Well, seven finals, one year I only went one day. So You've done I, all right there. I'm yeah. I guess you know what? I wasn't a great athlete. I've had a nice career as an official and an umpire. I look back and I'm I'm happy with it. But and to encapsulate that, I think we, um, part of what Carlos are going to work, Carlos and I are going to work on, um, you know. To peel the curtain back, as one uh, I say, is uh, I'm I'm checking out of PSL baseball because I I'm unable to, like you alluded to, where you don't want to take the the classes or not not take the classes. You don't want to double dip into coaching and officiating. This season was very heavy on um, getting close too close to ethical violations of friendship, where I'm doing my games and I I have gained respect as a city umpire. As I should, I put in the work for it. But since the podcast has come along, my goals have changed. And luckily for me, I reached the apex of New York City high school baseball. I umpired the AAA game at Yankee Stadium. And to to piggyback off your accomplishments and, and just being proud of them, I, I did that. And I'm not going to ever get on Yankee Stadium in an athletic way, but I got there in the way where I felt my contributions to the sport were best suited for me to stay with it, too, and to contribute back to the sport that I love, which is baseball and wrestling, respectively. And in leaving and, and getting that, it was perfect timing because I had an idea that goes beyond the podcast and, and everything for, to, for Carlson and I and, and, and hopefully you and, and the minds who I, I can trust to harness better umpires for the city. And almost like a beat the streets way did for wrestling where mm-hmm. they did a grassroots way and they provided wrestling shoes for these kids. And yeah. all of a sudden you got Eagle Academy sending kids to States, you know? And that's uh, another thing, Steve, that just cut you off. I apologize. Go for it. No, this is but on top of guess. everything else from an umpire coach and referee point of view, I was a board member for New Jersey wrestling. 
I was on the state staff that took teams out to Iowa to what, well, Iowa city used to be what Fargo is today. So I was on the staff. I got my bronze certification in the real bronze certification, not Bevy's version through beat the streets in 1982. I spent explain that. What's that? Explain what those certifications are. The certification for the, the bronze is the premise of getting a bronze, silver and gold. So you can teach at the world level. Okay, got yes. And the bronze is given through USA Wrestling, and the bronze level is about basic training and teaching in building a wrestling program the USA Wrestling way. And it starts off with on the mat would be the seven basic skills, which are stance, motion, level change, penetration, elevation, back arch, lift. And I could teach them all now for what it's worth. But it was about that. It was about athletic training from diets and physical training and how to build a program. and But what, levels, too. Oh, yeah. Bronze. And the LeBron's level was about teaching. Your premise was you were trying to train athletes that could compete in world competitions. That was the premise. So I did that. I, co- you know, I coached on the state team. And I'm also a founding board member of Beat the Streets. Um, I'm not a capital contributor. I didn't write checks to beat the streets, which is probably why I'm the one there. And that's Listen, fine. I mean, that's the real, that's the reality of a board. One thing I say about life is cash does cash isn't the only thing that leaves receipts behind. Your influence and culture does too. And you want to know something, Steve? I'll never get credit for the things I did when I was first there, and that's fine. I wasn't there for credit. You'll part. never get the credit that is that like I said that comes with the receipt that cash does. But there's something that you did. It's the tree that fell in the forest. Maybe you, know you didn't I, hear it, but it made a sound. The better way to put it is, I know what I did. That's all that matters. Oh, for sure. That's but I want, matters. but I want the, I, the I, I want the energy that you you put out there to be validated because sometimes when you do that, you don't know the success ratio of your output. And we we do have a job, fortunately for us, where if you suck at it, you 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 will find out. But when it comes to the beyond stuff. It, it might not hit like you were talking about, you know, Junior or uh, Rich Junior. Maybe he he doesn't know how much you've helped him shape his shape your own life into. I mean, this is a big part of your life, you and know, and he, he was the 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 one who, who inspired you to grow, it, and it's awesome. It goes the other way. I believe I learned, and I believe I wanted my sons to learn two things from being involved in sports athletics. Yeah, tell me. I never worried about them living vicariously through them. I wanted to learn two things, how to compete and how to overcome adversity. That's it. Learn how to compete and learn how to overcome adversity when you're competing. And no joke, there's nothing much better in life to to offer that to you than sports. Correct. And they teach you both. So I can tell you that I know both my sons, Richard and Robert, Richard has dealt with a lot in his life. He's been very strong about it. I'm very proud of him. He's working at a job now that is highly responsible. Um, he's getting married next year to a wonderful woman. Congrats. Alakoy Polanco. Uh, she's a nurse at Mount Sinai. And uh, she has a wonderful daughter, Milani. But end of the day, you know, he's doing the right thing. You know what I mean? He's doing the right thing. He's got the right people around him. He's got special people around him. And he understands. Takes Robin- a village, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a he's a supervisor and, and operations manager for senior care. I don't know anything more important than that. You know, my uh, my youngest, you know, was a wrestler, had a nice little career, got his degree, his master's and his undergrad and his master's at Stevens in four years, went to St. Mary's in San Antonio, got a law degree, passed the UBE for all 28 states, and is a practicing attorney. Has a wonderful woman in his life, Emma. And so, you know what, from my perspective, my wife and I, because I think Sue's a big part of it, a huge part of it. What was the, uh, was the uh, Richie's uh, younger brother's name? Sorry, you didn't say. It's Robert. 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 Yes. Richie and Robert. All right. That's so right. go ahead. So your wife? My wife, Susan, who's an administrator at NYU. She runs the shop from 11 to 7, generally speaking. You know, everybody. PM to AM, everybody. PM to AM. That's correct. God bless her. She loved being at nights because she had. Her kids during the day and her career at night. So, oh, oh wow! Uh, so she's had that role. She, she's, she's she's definitely she's been nocturnal. A for thirty, thirty six years. 
just about Richie's age. A uh, year after, I think. Yeah. Oh, excellent. So that in the 11th to 7th, the whole time, too. All right. Yeah, uh, for, she... For people who can't would, see the visual right now, uh, uh, Richie is a, is a hard ass to the highest degree, but the best kind of hardest. But I could see the pride in his face when he's talking about this. And, and uh, if there's ever anything beyond the rules, beyond what I try to bring forth for the cultures, this is all beyond because you can't do any... You can't pour from an empty glass, man. And Let, your, your, your cup I, I, seems full, I, I, man. Steve, let me give a little clarity here. About, Clear it up. About the hard ass. Okay? I mean that endearingly. No, no. I, I, and I, I, I am proud and respectful of the fact that you say that. I have men in their 40s and 50s, when I see them professionally, who still walk <laughs> up and hug me and call me coach. So, yeah. hey, coach, how you doing? But that's kind of the way I think life is. Right. I think unless you're working to be better every day, you're not competing unless you're working to do what it is you do better every day. You're not competing. So for me, it wasn't being a hard ass. It was about being focused. You know, you know, like I, I was a little league umpire. Well, oh, you're a little league umpire. OK, I was a little league umpire who only did districts and only did this. But eventually I became one, a World Series umpire. I was a high school umpire. I did high school games, who eventually did state playoff games, who eventually did sectional finals, who eventually did state championships. Well, each of those, Little League, high school, college, I had to get better to advance. Mm -hmm. I had to work hard to advance. I had to be focused and responsible to my craft to advance. And I know that you, as an example, want to be good at what you do. So when I give my advice, my advice is about helping someone who wants to advance, who wants to get better, and who wants to listen. If I didn't think you cared, I wouldn't give a squat. Richie, your 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 socialism with your information, but your capitalism on accountability. You want to offer the information. We should all build ourselves up. But ultimately, it's about yourself and what you can do. And you gotta, if you're no. gonna assign, if you're gonna take these assignments, you know, you gotta you gotta listen to the people who've come before you all the information, good or bad, and and part of the skills, too, of beyond the rules and becoming a better referee and official in general is knowing how to parse out the information that, that's going to benefit you. But that all comes with, it has to come with a desire to get better. And when I mean that you're a hard ass in that specific way is that you hold accountable to each person. It's like you're a hard ass to everybody. You're hard ass to the people who deserve that full attention that you're going to give to be like, hey, man, I know... You're you want better for yourself. Here's what I can offer to you, and take it or leave it. And for the most part, it should be taken. Well, there's two. That, that's true. That's a hundred percent correct. But I also indicated when you first asked me about my history, I've been a competitor, though not at a very high level. But I've been a coach, and when I got involved in umpiring and refereeing, the one thing I didn't want to be was that guy. Hey, there's that guy, and you know what that means. That's the guy that nobody wants to see, right? Oh, there's that guy. We right? all know that guy. Right. Hopefully and you don't I, know multiple of those guys. Right. But, but my point is, I'm not worried about them. I don't want me or I don't want you to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that walks in the gym and they go, oh, there's that guy, right? No. So for me, it was always about, and, and why? Because those coaches and those athletes, male and female, are doing everything they can to compete at whatever level they are. They're competing as best as they can, right? They're giving you what they think, everything they have. The least we can do is give them everything we have. Reciprocate. Absolutely. And be accountable for it. Exactly. Accountable is a, a whole different subject. You want to give your all, but when you when you fail, it's a whole different set of uh, balls to, to commit to to the right way to be accountable. And as officials, we it's a delicate thing, right? Because you don't want to be stepped on for your mistakes, but you have to be accountable. And it's a, it's a life skill that is unique to officiating. But uh, what I want to say is, is one thing about you, from my perspective, is it's not about backing up. In, in Game of Thrones, there's a quote, a king doesn't ever have to say he's a king. So when you give this information to me, I'm not viewing somebody who's talking shit i'm viewing somebody who's giving themselves that same information that's led themselves to the same success that i want to achieve so it's not like 
I'm just hearing it. I'm visualizing it and I'm believing it. You know, it's, it's more a uh, gospels than it is just words. Cause everybody could just say words you're doing, you're, you're saying it. And I guess I should change hardest to be like you, you're authentically yourself in that like, Hey, here's what led me to this. It might not lead you to the same thing, but I am proof that it led me. So take the information, do what you can with it, do it, use it to the best of your abilities, but at least consume it in a way that you understand that it worked for me. And here's, here's my proof. Here's my accomplishments. Well, you know, and it's funny because we were talking about doing this with the idea that the Little League World Series was coming up, right? It's going to come up. And it's, and, and it's coming up in the next week or so, because I guess they're at the end of the regionals. So mm-hmm. it should just started August 3rd. Yeah, I think I think they. I remember we started last year the fourteenth or fifteenth. So I have all the dates. <laughs> That's okay. But my point is, you know, now I get here's the example. I get to the World Series at Williamsport, and people have asked me what it's like, and I said it's effectively an MLB ESPN production for twelve year olds because that's what it is. When you're working that event, everything from the facilities to the technology and running the television and cable networks. It's Disney, basically. Managing a, <clears throat> what's not Disney, it's ESPN. No, ESPN is owned by Disney, but I mean like the, the overall vibe. It's an ESPN production. It's an ESPN Major League Baseball production for 12-year-olds. Yeah, Everything from the way they manage the pre-tournament to where they manage the teams. It's ritualistic. Organize the schedules by the minute to the way they get people on the field, manage games. I tell a story all the time as a side note on, on, on what it's like to work at the World Series. I had the opportunity to work the ABC TV Channel 7 game the first Saturday. That's an ultimate compliment, right? Because that means the whole world is watching for free. You don't have to have cable to watch that game. It's on Channel 7. And what game do I get? Italy versus Australia. So I'm nice. Like, what year was this? You said it, but I, I missed. It. I'm sorry. Last year. Oh, last year. Sorry. Yes, World last year. So we have to go out as umpires, as the crew, through the visiting team's lock uh, dugout. So while we're waiting online, one of my crew members says to the interpreter who didn't go out, "Hey, Richie's Italian." So of course I circle my face and I go, <laughs> "Yeah, but this is mob, right?" Because I don't look Italian. I look as Irish as any Irishman. You definitely so look Irish. Goes, so where's your well, where's your family from? So I tell him where my family's from, and he kind of smiles and okay, great. So now we get introduced out there. So I'm standing at the plate. Now we don't keep scorecards. That's all done in the press box, right? With official scorers. But it's a courtesy to give us a scorecard. So the Australian guy gives me the scorecard. I look at it and go, thank you very much. I take it, I fold it up. And I turn <laughs> to the Italian coach and I say, I look to him and he goes, Oh, I don't have one. I go, okay, I don't make a big deal out of it. No problem. I take it of all. We all understand the ground rules. They provide them for the coaches, I would assume, right? They do, but we don't get them to keep No, no, them. I just mean like, yeah. yeah. You know what they are? They're a souvenir for us. Yeah. That- They're a souvenir for us, right? If you're the play guy for that game, you have a souvenir. In fact, I'll tell you I'll tell you something after I get done. Let me finish. No, go for it. Now, I, 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 no problem. We do the pregame. Everybody goes out. Now, top of the second, when he's back at offense again, the Italian coach is running out, and as he's running by me, he gives me a scorecard. I look, and I go, oh, I fold it up. I put it in my thing. I put it in my back pocket. Do you know how much grief I got that I took something from that guy in front of 10,000 people? Oh, wow. So, because now they see wow. him give me something and I put it in my back pocket, right? Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. It, I showed them, but that's kind of what you're dealing with, right? Yeah, that was a so, probably, yeah, like, not the same uh, attention level, but I I recently went up to Cooperstown, uh, DreamWorks Park, I believe it's called. And um, first of all, that goddamn Diamond Dust turf. We haven't dropped one f bomb on the podcast, but fuck that Diamond Dust. T- I, I sent you a picture of the of what what it did to my. I'm yeah, still walking around. It's, it's just the worst. Oh, shoot, yeah, yeah. It was just another story. A whole varsity season went by. Bunch of good baseball. I, I you know you take your foul balls off the off the wherever it hits a bouncer right to my kneecap. I mean, it, it hit me in the most perfect spot and it floored me and I'm over here rising in pain, rolling around this red ass dirt. But, um, I, I felt that, okay. So you can get up and finish the game. Oh, uh, well, I had to get up and finish the game, but, but it, it was one of those pains where you're like, Hey, am I hurt or am I in pain? 
And uh, it took me a little bit, okay, I'm just in pain. But to relate to your sort of experience of like those sort of uh, tournaments where it's the pressure is on. And one thing I say about Cooperstown is there's three types of teams. There's a the teams that are going there to have a good time. And it's like, hey, we got the money together. Let's go experience. And there's teams that are going to go there and they're nationally ranked and they're, they probably kick ass all the time. And then there's teams that think they're good and they find out they're not. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a total beyond the experience to extrapolate from uh, my cl- what I say about beyond the rules and everything. I, I didn't really learn much about umpiring. Uh, if there's one thing that I picked up is to uh, make sure I say uh, play when the foul ball is put back in play. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those things like, damn, man, that was really missing from my game. So I, I attribute that's probably the best thing I got from the experience was that one little change in my game. Otherwise, I, I never witnessed teams get beat on so badly. Uh, Mercy started at four and it was 12, no time limit. And the dimensions of the field were like Little League Fenway Park. It just, they they want home runs. I, I think one game was like 30 to seven in like the second inning. Hey, see, like, but the, the, the problem for me with that is, I've never done anything at that level other than Little League because I was loyal to the Oh, yeah. It's before. a 12U at the as, as, as tw- uh, Dreamers so, Park. I don't really have any any ability to convey my thoughts to what you went through up there because for me, at that level, if I'm at the state level, it's really good baseball. And yeah, you know, oh, yeah. Right? The parody was so much. It's a World Series, whatever it is, they're all at the same level because they all competed – to get to that spot, yeah, yeah, yeah. The people, so those but, are invitationals more or more earn your way in. These you just got to get the money to, to to get the team to go there. The great part for you is it's a great experience. It's something that you got to do once, right? Absolutely, I recommend it, to every umpire do it once. You got to do it once, and that's a great experience. And the Hall of Fame's there, and it was the Hall of Fame was like church. I'm not a religious guy, but I felt God somewhere in there. Might have been Babe Ruth with his uniform. So uh, let's to ask a couple more questions about the uh, World, Blue World Series. A couple of notes for people who are listening and they don't really know the specifics. It's about, uh, they they made 20 teams this year. And uh, uh, if you want to really get granular, the dimensions. So if you see home runs and want to measure what these, the kids' skills are, it's uh, dead center is uh, 225 feet, which oh, they re- oh. recently, no, they recently made it. I looked it up. Mm-hmm. 225 feet within the last couple of years. <laughs> Before COVID, they want to make it 20 teams and they are, doing it this year for the first time they didn't really right. get to do it last year so you did you umpired it last year and you said you got to do australia versus italy the who play. won that game by the way italy oh nice at the play and um what is two man crew or three men or four men four men four man crew all right great that's cool and the dimensions are uh 46 pitcher and 60 bases 46 60 46 60. yeah 46 60. and um is stealing when the ball crosses the plate when the ball reaches the batter Oh, ball reaches the batter. Oh, okay. So I know that's uh, too granular for people just listening because they love my podcast. I love you guys. But for the umpires out there, that's that's probably the first time you've ever heard that if you never were to Little League World Series. Because usually when there's no leading, it's the, the ball across the plate. Is, the Little League rule is when the ball reaches the batter, and the reason for the rule is they don't want to take away the opportunity of the hit and run. Oh, right? yeah. A so lot of batters move up and down. They can't leave until the ball reaches the batter because if it reaches the batter, he could be putting the ball in play while the run is running. So it's when yeah. it reaches the batter. But that puts a new uh, little added judgment on your uh, as a, as a plate guy, or you're you got those are really specific uh, rules for the little league service. But generally, the rule is something else. Steve, there's generally been the understanding, especially the higher level of the tournament. The, the more you're going to shove your flag in your back pocket that you're not going to throw it in little league for that rule. Now, do you have to have the flag? Sure. Because the more these teams play travel ball, the more the opportunity for a young man to, or woman to brain fart and take a lead before the pitch is mm-hmm. like, yeah. if you don't have a flag or you don't throw it, you're going to look like a fool. Oh, oh so they give you a, an actual flag. Oh, yeah, you have to throw a flag when they leave early. Ah, so, I thought you were using a metaphor at first, and then you kept saying it. I'm like, oh, oh literally, there's a red flag, yeah. Is it you or a base umpire? The base umpire at which that base runner leaves early. And it's an out or a warning? It's return. Well, it's a long explanation. Okay. Well, yeah. nobody, nobody can advance 
any farther than the batter the, runner. The batter runner. The batter runner doesn't advance at all, then they don't advance at all. But what if they're just um, running on first? He leaves early. If he throws the pitch and he leaves early, nothing happens. He goes back to first. And and to explain to what he said, if if that batter run, if that that runner leaves early and the batter hits a double, he can only go as far as the batter runner preceded him. Right, forces him to go. So if the batter runner hits a double, if yes, he can only go to third, even if he made home. I go to third. I'm going to throw one at you that everybody asks about the little league rule of leaving early. It's called the poof rule. Oh, if you have the bases loaded and a batter gets an infield hit while someone left early, Little League will not take away the infield hit. What it will do is it'll allow the batter runner to take first, force the runner at first to go to second, force the runner at second to go to third. Now you got what? You got the runner at third gets to come home, even though somebody left early, they get the score run. And literally, they have a poof rule. That run does not score. Oh, just advance the three runners, and that lead runner comes off the bases. Yeah, well, and these are all these those rules that you 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 can't get beyond. Do you want to know those rules, even though they don't happen that much? Those are the rules you want to know. The rules that don't happen that much. The the second you don't think you don't need it is the second you're going to need it. Absolutely, right? a saying it's better to have and not need than to need and not have, and. Right. To transition to the end, one of the questions I always uh, ask guests, whether a coach or a, a fellow official, at being as a, an official, it is a, a vocation that it isn't volunteer work. It shouldn't be viewed that way because not only getting paid, but if you care about sport, then you care about a, a certain quality that sport offers where it's like, yeah, these are high level athletes, but you think they give a shit about their check when they are in the finals and they're in the throes of something that they want to conquer what they have to conquer and they'll give their all. And as a, as an official, I think that there is an essence for us to, to be a part of this environment, a crucial part of the environment that we're not necessary evils. And we can offer the same sort of uh, diligence that all these athletes uh, are expected to offer. And, and, and what, what has that allowed you to, to transition to becoming a better man well, in life? If life is about competing and overcome adversity, you're competing to be successful at something. Well, whatever you're competing at, you want to be successful at. I compete as a husband. I compete as a father. I compete in my business. I compete as a referee. I compete as an umpire. I work to do the best job that I can every day so that whatever I'm competing for or with is accepted as a good job. I want to make my wife happy that I'm doing a good job. Mm. I want my sons to be respectful that as a father, I'm doing a good job. I want to teach my sons as a father how to be good men. I want to, as an official, make sure that I made that a fair event that I did mm-hmm. the best I could, that the winner who was supposed to win won by the rules of the sport, right? As a baseball umpire, I want to ensure that I did the best job I could to get the best team within the rules to win. Now, sometimes teams do things on their own. They may have been the better team, and they lost. That's got nothing to do with us. I'm saying within the scope of our job, in our administration of the rules, or as arbiters, as we're called. Arbiters, exactly. We did the best job we could to administer the rules appropriately by the rule book. As long as we do that, as long as we do the job the way we're supposed to and without confrontation, see, I'm never an umpire or referee likes to be confrontational. No, you never like to be confrontational because when you look for trouble, you're going to find it. So for me, my job is only, is it a fair event between wrestler A and wrestler B team A and TB, and did I do the best job that I could to make that job done effectively, fair, and to the point at which it was appropriate? If I didn't, then I better damn well find out why. What was it I did or didn't do that I need to change so that I do it right the next time? I've always been that way. I've never been afraid to watch myself on video. I've never been afraid to watch matches that I've had that I thought, gee, did I do a good job? I've never been afraid to ask questions. What do you think about the match I did? 
Right. Hey, Rich, you're not calling your hard ass, but it sounds like you're hard ass on yourself too. And it exudes in a way where you want, you want the best out of yourself. And one thing about you is you don't have expectations of other people. That's unfair, right? If, if I feel like I disappointed you, it's not that you have unfair expectations of me because you don't do that. If I disappointed you, right? If I fucked up, I'd feel it that like, oh, wow, this guy, he looks at me in a way where it's like, you can, you're better than this. You expect more of me because you want me to expect more of myself. And that's the only thing that you really are. You, you want to get the best out of the person and you, you, you promote it in a way where it's like, here's what I, how I've gotten the best out of myself. Well, it goes, there's two things. It's, I'm very anecdotal with old sayings. My father was very much, he liked old sayings, right? Mm. So, but I learned something from a coach that I first worked with in the 70s, Ed Agresto. And he always had the, the perspective of all of his assistant coaches. Never expect anything of a kid that you don't expect of yourself. So I started, exactly. I don't expect anything from anyone in my life that I don't expect from myself. But I will get a, I will get aggravated. I will get annoyed. I will have my issues when I feel people are taking advantage, right? Because the one thing we can't do is have people take advantage of the things that we do in life. But that's the first reading thing. Don't expect anything of someone else that you don't expect of yourself. Mm-hmm. And number two, it's the old thing of don't do as I say, don't do as I do, do as I say, right? Yeah. Oh, it's Rules easy. for Z, not for me. Right. And so that's never been me. And no. part of it, look, and there's a lot of people in what we do that would never help you because that might make you pass me on the, the chain of opportunity. So I'm not going to help Steve Batista because I might not get the next chance to do something because he got it. But that's Those not, people usually don't pan out in life anyway. Well, that's the point, right? I'm not that way. You know, I don't I don't worry about what, tro- you know, what trophy, what medal, what jacket. What shirt? You want to talk about anecdotes of dad? My dad always said, don't account other people's money. My, my you know, I, it's an interesting story. Richie used to give me grief that I didn't wear my first World Series ring. And I didn't because I didn't think I needed it. And then I got my second, I got the World Series ring. And I still didn't wear it. You know, and it's like guys who get their jackets and get their years put on their jacket. They got 19 years on their jacket, right? That's great. Yeah, everybody, if you're a good referee, everybody knows it. They don't need to see it on your jacket. You know what I mean? What did I say earlier? A king doesn't have to say he's a king? Correct. Well, I, I'm. there was a movie that I used for a team I had at St. Peter's Prep called The Last Dragon. And it was a piece back in the middle 80s. And it had Ty Mac and, and Vanity. And it was about a black kid from home who was uh, uh, into the martial arts. And he wanted to be a master. And he kept asking his sensei, when will I know? When will I know? And at one point, he sees these two metal pieces on a lanyard and says, is this what a master gets when he becomes a master? And the sensei says, he, he giggles and laughs and says, a master would use this as a belt buckle, right? <laughs> he doesn't need that to be a master. Well, the reality was, when are you a master? When you know you're a master. Mm-hmm. When are you that guy? When you know you're that guy. You don't need a ring or a belt or a jacket or a shirt, you know, because you know. Mm-hmm. Hey, I can't think of a better way to leave on that, man. Uh, it was good catching up with you. And I, man, I have a, a quote. Don't break my hand, pat myself on the back. I timed this perfectly so it can, everybody can hear your story about the Little League World Series. And in general, just, I bring people on who inspire me. And not just inspire me with stories or anecdotes, but inspire me to be better in my craft and a better man, a better husband, a better whatever the what, what job I'm uh, I'm tasked to do. Uh, I want to surround myself with people who who help me be better at it. And you're one of those people, Rich. And I thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No it's been great talking to you, man. And listen, anytime you ever want to call me, you got a question. I have guys. I'm the interpreter for my local high school baseball association. There's one guy I won't mention his name. If he doesn't call me once a week, I start to worry something's wrong. But mm-hmm. I love that he calls and says, hey, I got to play. What do you think? Hey, I got a situation. What do you think? You know? And and I love that because that's what keeps our minds fresh about those unique moments, right? We all know how to make the, you know, like a baseball with the big six. out say fair foul ball strike. If we can't do that, we shouldn't be on the field, right? But like in the in the showcase tournament I did last weekend, when the batter runner passed the lead runner, and then so he's out, 
but now the lead runner was running and he advances at his own risk and the defense doesn't know what to do. And we got a no tag. Those are the things that you got to have, right? Or the interference that we had, what looked like interference obstruction. Well, the ball passed the third baseman and then it was contact. And the guy's like, but it just passed him. Doesn't matter. Did he have possession and control? No. So those are the things and conversations I love to have. Or as I would have in wrestling with Carlos and I, when we do, did the national prep last year, we always have conversations. Hey, do you see I made the call? Do you see my call at the edge? What do you think about the takedown? Mm-hmm. What do you think about, you know, this situation? Did he have, you think he had control? That's how we get better. Yeah. That's and those we- are the stuff beyond the rules. And that's why I call it talking shop with Carlos, Carlos Dolan. Because- it's funny. Now <laughs> that we're talking, I'm going to have to give him a call. Oh, yeah. I try. I, I text him to see if he was available to make a cameo. But we'll... Well, the three of us will definitely get together to talk shop for wrestling season, which Absolutely. I can't, I cannot wait for. I'm, I'm looking forward to this wrestling season so much because of the podcast. And and every season, and I know you feel this an official, you you, you you look forward to the next season of the respective sport because baseball brings into something that you, you can do for wrestling. Wrestling does the same for baseball. Absolutely. And, and it's awesome. So, Rich, thank you for being on. Anytime. You got it. Boom. No